I'm Kyle McKee, and this is Fordham Conversations. On this week's show, I talk with members of Teens for Food Justice. It's an organization that gives New York City teens an opportunity to learn about and grow healthy, organic, sustainable food. Good morning. Let's go around the table and have each of you tell us your name and what you do at Teens for Food Justice. My name is Kathy Saul. I am the founder and director of Teens for Food Justice. My name is Anima, and I'm a I'm a sixth grader at Unison that basically do show off our works and everything and represent it to other people about what we built in the, our Team Food for Justice. Um, my name is Zahid. I'm a sixth grader at Unison, and I am also a student ambassador for the Team Food Justice program. My name is Amy Piller, and I'm the assistant principal at the Urban Assembly Unison School. So, Kathy, can you kind of explain to me what is Teens for Food Justice? So, Teens for Food Justice aims to bring food equity uh, to communities where access to fresh food and resources for healthy living and good nutrition are a significant challenge, and to engage youth to be on the front lines of that work. Our program takes a very unique approach. We work with students after school and even to some degree during the curricular day um, to train them to be hydroponic farmers. They build high capacity hydroponic farms within their own schools um, and they're able to grow food for their school and community within the building itself. Um, We also train them to be um, experts in nutrition and fitness um, to understand uh, local access to food within their own community and to educate others within the community about these things so that they are able to build a food justice movement in the communities where they live. Um, Our program focuses on low-income food desert communities which tend to have very limited access to fresh produce and healthy food options Um, and we believe that by generating a youth-led food justice movement that really starts from the basis of growing food and feeding community on their own, we have the ability to affect that kind of change. And you mentioned food equity. What is that? Can you define that for me? So food equity is um, fair and equal access to fresh food and to resources for good nutrition and healthy living Um, in any community at a fair price. Unfortunately, many communities in New York City are food deserts. Um, Food deserts are areas where uh, supermarkets and um, stores that sell fresh food and unprocessed food are outnumbered by bodegas that sell heavily processed food and very few uh, produce items, um, they're outnumbered by about 10 to one. And our goal is to change that dynamic. And one way to do that is by actually growing food within schools um, and within community centers in these neighborhoods that begin to change that foodscape. Um, And our goal is to make that a youth-driven movement. We feel that, you know, by engaging kids in that uh, work. Number one, you're changing future generations' attitudes towards food and their understanding of what they have a right to have access to. But also, kids have an enormous impact on adults. And 
when children become actively involved in a food justice movement, that has a profound impact on the adults in their lives. In what areas of New York City do you think are in most need of food justice? Well, Brooklyn, the Bronx um, are, are really extremely high population food desert areas, but food food inequity um, and, and lack of fresh food exists in every borough across New York City. Um, it's not limited to one area or another, but um, areas such as Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, uh, Bushwick, East New York um, are particularly high uh, food desert areas, as well as many neighborhoods throughout the Bronx. Um, and uh, we are working in those communities actively to make that change. But we also are developing programs in Manhattan and Queens and hopefully soon in Staten Island as well. So where are you located right now? So we have opened our second farm. Uh, we launched our second farming program at Unison this past January. And um, Anima and Zahid were part of the Teens for Food Justice team at Unison that built the farm in a science classroom there. It's about a 500 square foot science classroom that was really not being uh, heavily utilized. And we came in and the kids literally built themselves from the ground up, putting together all the parts and pieces from the aluminum framing to all of the channels and the pumps, um, all of the lighting. They built these 10 foot high by 10 foot long by two foot wide vertical hydroponic farming systems, um, each of which is capable of growing 240 plants per month in their channels um, and they also built two long systems uh, about 10 feet long as well that can grow fruiting crops like tomatoes cucumbers and peppers um, and so at unison this program was really uh, uh, larger in terms of its capacity and output than our our previous programs in brooklyn um, we're producing about 50 to 80 pounds of produce a month with these kids and they're really doing the farming the harvesting, the managing of the farm, um, distributing the produce to their friends, to their family through community events. Um, and so uh, this this was our, our second site. And the kids come to us two days a week after school to work for about two hours um, in the farm and also working alongside nutrition education experts and community chefs, uh, fitness trainers, and other uh, partners who help to teach them about nutrition and fitness and uh, the sort of food access within their community and also ways to communicate messages about food justice to their neighbors and families and friends. And Amy, you're the assistant principal of Unison Middle School. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your school and how you're involved with Teens for Food Justice? Certainly. So like you said, I am the assistant principal at Unison, um, and we're located in Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn. And we are a small middle school that's dedicated to giving students access to progressive education opportunities um, and really working to develop the their 21st century skills and career paths. And so we were really excited when Kathy came to us with the potential of this partnership. Um, Initially, because it offers all of these STEAM opportunities, or to unpack the jargon, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Um, and so oftentimes students, we find in middle school that students are 
excited or engaged about uh, hypothetical real-world situations. And so, you know, oftentimes you'll hear of a teacher having, say, a math project where they pretend to go on a vacation and calculate the cost because it's closer to real life. But it's rare in middle school to have the opportunity to actually do something real and meaningful in your community and be able to give back. And so um, not only do they get the technology and engineering experience of building this system, but then it's also doing good for the community. And by building a hydroponic system that uh, they get to be hands-on and deeply engaged in a different kind of way. And then they're also creating something meaningful for their community. So 96% of our students qualify for free and reduced lunch. And as Kathy was mentioning, the food desert aspect of um, many neighborhoods in Brooklyn, a lot of our students don't necessarily have access to uh, high-quality, organic, local produce. And um, having access to that kind of food and learning about the about ways to eat healthy and ways for their families to cook healthy and all of those things really helps give them more even footing in terms of uh, their ability to focus and learn and live out the incredible potential that they all have. So can you talk to me a little bit about the difference between a regular, you know, independently owned bodega and say a supermarket? What What's the difference of food choices, Kathy? Well, if you go into your typical bodega, you'll usually find three options that fall into the category of produce, an onion, a banana, and an apple. Um, And that's about it. You will not find fresh leafy greens of any kind. There won't be lettuce. There won't be tomatoes. You won't find cucumbers. You won't find spinach. You won't find kale. You won't find any of the items that you would think of as a vegetable or a fruiting crop that you would need to make a meal that is a plant-based meal or even a meal that involves plants in any kind of significant way. And we know, of course, that a plant-based diet is a much healthier diet than one that does not contain um, any plants. Um, In a bodega that might have some of those items for sale, that bodega is probably the only one around. And as a result, will have the ability to charge very high prices for such food and in a community where that those facts tend to be the case, you're not dealing with a population that has the resources to spend um, a lot of extra money on produce. So even though it's available, um, the community members not may not be in a position to afford it. And that is a real problem. Um, you know, New York City currently spends over four billion dollars per year on health care for its residents related to poor diet, things, uh, disease that's related to obesity, um, and obesity causes heart disease and diabetes, and this is the result of lack of access to fresh food. It's a tremendous paradigm that in New York City, um, those people who have the least access to fresh food tend to have the highest statistics for obesity. Um, and so there isn't necessarily a correlation between how much you are eating. It may be that you're only eating one meal a day, but it's a very heavy, highly processed meal with many, many calories filled with sugar, filled with fat, filled with um, uh, uh, pro- uh, processed carbohydrates. And those, re- those 
individuals tend to suffer from uh, greater health implications, you know, from diabetes, heart disease, and obesity-related illnesses. I've been talking with Kathy Soule, the president of Teens for Food Justice. It's an organization here in New York City devoted to providing kids in urban areas with education and awareness about sufficient food. Also here is Amy Piller, the assistant principal of Unison Middle School, as well as Zaid Muhammad and Anima Rimi, two of the program's youth. So Anima, can you talk to me a little bit about your experience? What kind of things do you do at Teens for Food Justice? Well, some type of things I do at Team Food for Justice is basically, first, when I came in here at Team Food for Justice, I, I basically, like, usually use rock wool, like, which is another thing for replacing soil. And, like, I use rock wool to help the plants stay in place, and then I usually work together with the team to make with the team to make our systems like first we make our systems after we make the systems by our hand we use like little type of rock walls and we plant it and after they come out like little babies can i ask you a question though what is the what's the system you're talking about hydroponic system oh the hydroponic system can you zaid you can answer this too what what is a hydroponic system so there's we also have a vine crop and an NFT system. An NFT system is basically standing for a nutrient film technique. And like it has a tiny film that's in a reservoir, which is the bucket with the water that helps reduce the plants. And a vine crop system basically we in the vine crop system we basically grow cucumbers and tomato, which are fruits and vegetables. And you can know it's a fruit and a vegetable because, like, the flower sprouts. Great. And, Zaid, what are some of the some of your favorite vegetables that you've made? In the vine crop systems, continuing on to what Anima said, we have, like, they're called vine crop system because plants that grow on vines are supposed to use that system or that system model. So tomatoes, cucumbers... Grapes, but we can't use grapes into hydroponics. Like, those plants we would put on the vine crop system. And leafy greens like um, kale, Swiss chard, lettuce, we would put in the NFG systems. Great. And what's your favorite? During the last month of school, we've been planting bell peppers. So probably the bell peppers are my favorite part of the like produce that we made in the farm. Anima, what's your favorite? Well, my favorite part is basically working together as a community and having fun. And what's your favorite vegetable? My favorite vegetable, well, I actually like potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a great one. So, um, Amy, can you talk to me a little bit about how the school's curriculum is kind of shaped around programs like this? Sure. So um, we have an extended learning day. So through a partnership with Citizen Schools, the majority of our students stay till 6 p.m. daily. And we offer apprenticeship opportunities during that time 
So most of the programs have uh, 10-week cycles where other organizations come in. So let's say uh, Google comes in and they teach the kids about robotics and the kids build a robot or Spotify comes in and they make a music video. And now we have the opportunity to have Teens for Food Justice in and they build a farm and teach the kids about careers in um, not just in agriculture but also in food advocacy in general. Um, And then additionally, different subject area teachers have started to bring classes down to the farm to integrate it into their uh, daily instruction. So for example, an eighth grade English teacher brought his class down to the farm where they were able to talk to the students, the student ambassadors and the engineers to ask about vertical farming. And they had a debate about whether uh, it would be a good solution for future mass agriculture or not and why, and then wrote position papers as to uh, what they thought after this experience and debate. And so once the English teacher did that, other teachers have had ideas for bringing their classes in and integrating it in that way. Um, And it just continues to grow as an opportunity. So next year, we're going to have an elective of some sort where one of the teachers wants to spend a few periods a week in conjunction with the engineers teaching a hydroponics class. Um, And we're hoping eventually to expand into the courtyard space um, on the, we're a campus school. So PS 56 is the elementary school in our building. And we share a courtyard that we would like to be able to build a greenhouse in um, and expand the amount of food that uh, we're able to produce so that potentially we could produce enough food to include it as the produce component of school lunch on a daily basis. The chancellor of uh, the New York City Department of Education, Carmen Farina, really believes in community schools. And by this, she means schools where it's not just academics that are happening there, but where the school is providing uh, services and resources for the community at large. And so we're looking to partner with other schools, um, other urban assembly schools, as well as other local elementary schools in the district to um, have lots of people be able to visit this farm and provide food to others in the community, to other schools, and to offer internships potentially to high school students um, in who are preparing for careers along these lines. And as someone who's you know around these kids every day, how have you seen their outlook on food change as a result of this program? So um, as someone who is in the cafeteria every single day at lunchtime, Um, I can tell you that there has been a big change, and part of that is that um, people like Zahid and Anima and the other uh, Teams for Food Justice ambassadors will come downstairs with carts with little samples of salads and things that have come from the farm, and students are excited to taste these samples. Um, Students are starting to recognize the um, importance of eating healthy more often, and so Oftentimes, the students in a derogatory way refer to school lunch as free-free. And um, it's called that because there's some stigma associated with um, the fact that it's a free lunch. And I've heard less and less of that statement and more and more of kids spending time at the salad bar and trying to choose and eat healthier items. We also have daily announcements and kids remind each other to eat well at lunch so that they can focus better in the afternoon. And I think we're starting to see changes there. And the more local, immediately local food that we can source from within our school, the more powerful that will be. And Zahid and Anima, have you, did you like vegetables before this program? Well, 
my mom, she used to, like, she always garden. I mean, she convinced me to eat healthy food to make me healthy. I mean, I eat some type of healthy foods, but when I started getting the program, I started to eat more healthy food. Um, before I started this program, I knew a lot about, like, traditional agriculture, so I think, like, since January when they first started, I've learned, like, I've been starting to eat healthier and starting to like salad more. Salad's a big part of it. <laughs> so, Kathy, how is Teens for Food Justice funded? So, primarily, Teens for Food Justice has been funded privately up until this time. Um, but we have just begun to receive uh, some very significant uh, support from the public sector. Uh, we have two new farms along the lines of what Amy was describing, high capacity farms that have the ability to grow uh, tens of thousands of pounds of produce per year coming online in the Bronx at DeWitt Clinton High School and in Manhattan at the Martin Luther King Jr. Educational Campus in the 2018 academic year. Um, and these two farms, which will be located in approximately 1,300 square foot spaces within the school building, um, we'll be able to provide enough produce to serve the cafeteria every single day and meet the needs of the students. And, you know, that has the ability to create a sea change in the way kids really think about food and what they eat every day. We can't hydroponically grow every vegetable or fruit that the students will eat, so it isn't a solution to every item, but we can grow all the lettuces, we can grow many of the herbs, we can grow uh, large leafy greens such as kale and collards um, and uh, Swiss chard, which has become a new favorite of some of our students. So he could speak to you a little bit about his enjoyment of Swiss chard, which is a crop he didn't know anything about until the program began. We were just talking about that today. Um, and also the tomatoes, the peppers, and the cucumbers that the cafeteria can use. And um, what's really wonderful about these programs, and it's one of the things that, you know, Amy is responding to as well, is, is it's, not, it's not just about the fact that the kids themselves get really excited about it. You know, if the food is being grown in the school, and then they're eating it in the cafeteria, and they're really knowledgeable about it, and they're learning how to cook with it through this interactive experience that Teens for Food Justice provides. They change the way that they eat. But the the other thing is that you see this system-wide change. You know, the, the cafeteria staff at these schools are so excited about the idea that the produce that they'll serve in the cafeteria will be grown by the students. That creates a whole different way of thinking about what is it that we want to make the lunch experience for our students look like? Because the lunch experience for most students in the United States is, is intolerable. I mean, none of us would want to eat the way we insist our children eat every day in school. Um, and so in addition to that, when you create that kind of cultural change within a school and you're growing enough produce that you also have the ability to feed the community, which we will, you can change the way a whole community views food. You can change the way a whole community feels about their right to have certain kinds of food. You begin to have community making a real evaluation of what resources are available here and why 20 blocks away does it look very, very different? Why is it that 20 blocks from here all of these items that are in stores, but they're not in stores in my community. And why is it like that? And what are we going to do to change that? So, you know, the program has 
such profound implications for the way that we as a society think about food. And um, it's very exciting to see that unfolding at Unison, particularly as, as a start, because as a community and philosophically, Unison is so focused on offering these kinds of experiences to its students, but not only offering the, these experiences, but engaging the students in the creation of them. And, you know, that is really what Teens for Food Justice is about. It's really about engaging kids in leading this movement and in thinking through the solutions to these problems. Um, if, I, if I can just refer to something, Zahid and I were talking about like the thing that he learned the most from the program, and he was speaking about hydroponics and what that taught him about agriculture. Saeed, how has hydroponic farming changed your outlook on food? Learning about hydroponic changed my like mindset about the future. So like nowadays, like traditional farming is going like it's gonna like it's turning bad. So thinking of like using water to grow plants and it could be a good way to like help people in the future like to eat and instead of like traditional farming where they have pesticides and those type of things that can potentially harm humans and people know what they're going to eat from hydroponics. Can you kind of explain to me the benefits of hydroponic farming? So, I mean, one of the things uh, that is, is what Zahid said, um, which is that, you know, you, you really can eliminate uh, the need for pesticides and other chemicals, harmful chemicals that can go into your food. And, and I think that that was a really important message that he's sharing. Um, but the, the other thing about hydroponics that is really important and is the reason why it is becoming a real business in this country is because you don't need land to grow. Um, with hydroponics, you are not using soil at all. You're using water, and you are using water in a recirculating system. So, for example, our 10-foot by 10-foot by 2-foot systems, these systems use one reservoir of water, about 40 gallons of water, that recirculates and recirculates and recirculates. And on a daily basis, we replenish about five gallons of that. Um, so if you think about that in terms of resource efficiency, it's really great. It's not only in terms of that it doesn't use a lot of water, but it doesn't require any soil, and you're maximizing your space because for every two feet that you're growing plants in, you're not just growing on one layer, you're growing on multiple layers. And especially in a place like New York City, it makes sense. You know, there's no land to build a big farm. Correct, exactly. And, and that's why you're beginning to see a movement where, you know, commercial growers are growing on roofs, um, you know, that that is why the courtyard solution at Unison is so great. Right now, the courtyard at Unison is has some garden in it, and we would hope to maintain some of that exterior garden because it's fun. You know, you can use it to grow plants like potatoes, which Anima <laughs> mentioned as being her favorite, but you can't grow a potato hydroponically. Um, so, you know, the ability to have that kind of companion growing where you can grow different crops in the summer from what you can grow all year, every single day in a hydroponic farm, that's another benefit. It's not seasonal. It's all day. It's all year. 
every day. Um, and in particular, in a school environment, every moment is a teaching moment because the kids have the opportunity to see science unfolding right before their eyes and to participate in science every day through the farm. Great. And Kathy, how can people get involved? Well, we are always looking for involvement from partnerships with other organizations that share our mission and goal for um, educating youth about nutrition and health, um, for helping to bring healthy food to communities, for helping to build a food advocacy movement. So if this is the kind of work that you do, please let us know. Um, We uh, have an active mentor program Um, We utilize a team of young adult mentors. They are college and graduate students and young professionals who have the ability to give their time a couple of days a week after school to come in and help to lead our students um, in their growth as Teens for Food Justice ambassadors. They help with all of the farming aspects. They help with the nutrition education aspects, all the advocacy aspects, and you can see that everyone in the room really enjoys. Um, Obviously, we need everyone's financial support. Help us to build this program, to build more farms, to build our high-capacity farm at Unison, at DeWitt Clinton, at Martin Luther King, and on and on. So, you know, obviously, everybody's donations mean a great deal. Um, You know, if you know of a school that and, a, and or a community that could benefit from a program like this, get in touch with us. Let us know. We'd love to explore um, the potential for building a Teens for Food Justice Farm in a community such as yours. So you can get involved in many, many ways with this organization and in many, many ways with you know our goals for making a real difference in food equity in New York. Great. And if someone wants to get involved, where should they go to get more information? So our website is teensforfoodjustice.org. If you go to the website, you can find all of our contact information. You can email me directly at kfsol at teensforfoodjustice.org. I'd be delighted to talk to you about your interest in the program and your interest in building a food justice movement in New York. I would like to thank my guests, Kathy Soul, Amy Pillar, and Zaid Muhammad and Anima Rimi. You can friend Fordham Conversations on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and catch up on shows you've missed with our weekly podcast. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Kyle McKee.